Hey, CLC family, welcome. This is episode eight of our sermon Q&A, where we look back at last Sunday's sermon and kind of dive in and answer some of your questions right here live. we got Pastor Bob here. How are you doing? Hey, I'm loving this. And just, you know, I've been thinking about this. This was such a thing that they did in the New Testament. You know, they questioned the preacher yeah. uh, on the basis of the scriptures. And I think of Acts 17, where it says that those who did that, they were from a place called Berea. They were more noble-minded yeah. than other believers because they uh, searched the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. Yeah. So I figure if Paul can be questioned, yeah. then when you preach, you can be questioned. Yeah. And when I preach, I can be questioned. And it also means you guys are noble-minded, is what I'm hearing. Yeah. The, per- <laughs> the people who question and query, yeah, exactly. So thanks for being noble-minded. Thanks for kind of tuning in. And even if you're listening to this after the fact, we're so grateful that you're here to kind of wrestle with the scriptures alongside us. So um, yeah, so glad to have you here. As we usually do, um, we'll start with the two-minute recap of the whole sermon. Then we'll go ahead and kind of do seven minutes of kind of deeper discussion, talking about the things that maybe we didn't get to chat about on Sunday. And then we kind of wrap up with your questions, which if you're watching live, you can submit those right now in the comment section. So you ready to start with a two-minute recap? I'll give it my best shot. All right. And we okay. got this cool uh, timer here, in kitchen timer. two minutes. In two minutes. So I'm going to set the clock and you can begin right now. Hey, one great thing about going through books of the Bible is it gives a sense of authority to what we're studying. You know, it's not just stuff that I want to get off my chest or respond to current events uh, or pick and choose what I like to preach from. So we come to a section that I I probably wouldn't choose if it were just left to me that is based on uh, the Roman Greco household codes of the family and everybody in a household. The churches were probably a household. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so one of the one of the questions of that text is, is everything written there meant to be like the epitome of Christian values for all time? Or is Paul, by the Holy Spirit, speaking into a situation that could not be instantly transformed, but could be filled with Christ? And I made the case really that that's what we're really doing that. We're really seeing what Paul is doing is not saying, this is the pinnacle of all expressions, but he's speaking into it, yeah. into that culture. That becomes a little sophisticated. Um, so uh, one of the things I had to deal with in that text is just saying this is not an immediate transfer of all commands, but it was to giving giving hope in a hopeless situation. Like if you're a slave and you can't quit and you have an oppressive system and even an oppressive master over your life, where is there any hope in that? And Paul's like, hey, there is hope because you can serve the Lord and you can lift your eyes up and even in the midst of all this cruelty. But that in no way endorses the cruelty or the system of hierarchy. And those verses should never be quoted by the oppressor or the person in charge. They're meant for the oppressed person to look up to God. And that's what Paul's doing in those situations, removing any kind of oppression. And slavery is an oppressive system. It never existed, of course, in God's design and in, in the created order, but it has come about in our fallen world. Yeah. And uh, so that was basically speaking into that and then showing how Christians recognize that um, what was spoken there, again, is God speaking in the midst of a very broken human yeah. situation that had the seeds of all of the freedom that Christ intended. So um, I know that isn't exactly a summary, but that really is where the text is going. Yeah, that's pretty good timing, too. Uh, Um, Yeah. Yeah, Um, and kind of a uh, a one portion in our bigger series, like making all things new. And so, you know, gospel's kind of touching every corner, even kind of that system of hierarchy. So um, we'll jump into our second segment, which is seven minutes of just kind of, hey, what did you not cover on Sunday? What would you like to go maybe uh, deeper into? Um, If you could add any color to anything that we kind of wrestled with, what would you you include? So, Yeah. yeah. 
I guess one thing I'd be honest about is I think if I had lived in some of those times in when I talked about in America in the 1850s yeah. and 60s, um, I might have, based on my reading simply of the Bible and trying mm-hmm. to be an obedient Christ follower, fallen on the side of people who said, well, slavery's in the Bible, yeah. so we ought to go along with that. And the reason for that is at a micro level, all the texts seem to be on the side of people who were arguing for the existence of slavery. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at people who wound up in that camp, I have to question myself in terms of how would I have responded? And it's kind of that error of immediately transferring some words of scripture yeah. and slapping it onto your context yeah. as the be all and end all when that's not what's going on. I don't know, does that make sense to you in terms of the, the yeah. micro, all those texts? But the, the bigger question is in the whole scope of the lineage of what God is doing in his yeah. kingdom, um, what is he really saying? Yeah. Um, and I don't know whether I said it here, but I said, like, um, we shouldn't have expected Paul to tell believers to be self-suicidal mm. in their context. Yeah. Um, because he's really trying to speak pastoral counsel to them right where they are. Yeah. Um, so... Like I said, we wouldn't want to, we we wouldn't criticize someone who parachuted into Moscow and told Putin to stop his aggression in Ukraine. Yeah. But we know that that would be uh, a pretty suicidal mission. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe a righteous, certainly a righteous cause, but yeah. but a suicidal mission. So I would say the whole appearance of the household codes in Scripture, wherever they appear, and Paul speaking into them, Peter even speaks into them. Yeah. Uh, is the church's attempt to blend uh, God's ideal with a really broken culture in such a way that it would preserve the dignity of the people who were in that system yeah. and couldn't change it in yeah. their generation uh, while also honoring what God was about to do uh, or, or was had sown into creation and was going to break forth in Jesus. Yeah. So if we take the household codes as already the highest ethic of the kingdom mm-hmm. and we should just replicate that, then we're going to be replicating hierarchy and all this stuff. And we find that in the church. Yeah. There are corners of the church that are... Like saying, yeah, there's hierarchy. I yeah. mean, unbiblical things have been taught. Um, I could name names. Maybe I should. Uh, but but that like teach that men are the umbrella of mm. their wives, and you know the wives are under the husband, and all this. And it's like, yeah. no, no. Uh, I want to just proclaim: uh, men, women, and children. Ultimately, they are under the umbrella of Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and besides, there weren't umbrellas created in the Bible. So yeah, it's yeah. A yeah. Bad concept. That image is not very helpful in so, some ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't believe you ever encountered that in your upbringing of, of kind of yeah. reading. I remember in some context, um, I existed in, there, it was kind of portrayed in that way. Like, I remember coming across the umbrella when I was like a young Christian, kind of, it was like 10, 15 years ago, and just seeing like God and then the dad and then the mom and then the kids, and maybe for those who are funny, put the dog under that, right? And um, I remember thinking, like, you know, if we do just look at it on the page without any context and kind of pull it out, um, yeah, you could kind of twist the text to say that. But the way I like to explain it to students is like, if you walk into a movie and watch three minutes of it, could you recap the movie or could you understand what's going on just from that three minute clip? Most likely not. You're leaving a lot of detail and you're not getting the bigger picture. And I think um, I think that's what we got to be careful we don't do with this text is like, read a line. There it says right there, you know, this is what happens, has to happen. We have to understand it in its context. And then in light of the bigger picture of what God is doing and the big picture of bringing heaven to earth. Um, and I think when you do that, you can't help but see it in the way that we've kind of been walking through it. So, um, yeah, I've seen it that way before. I've heard it, but I've never been kind of convinced. And then, you know, when you do wrestle with the text a bit more honestly and look at 
this from the background, you can't help but see it a bit more holistically. So, yeah. When, when you experienced it, the, like the bigger plant line, did you have any thoughts? Because at least for me, I'm like, yeah, but are we getting away from the text? Am I becoming, am I drifting? Am I no longer taking the Bible seriously? Because the text, I don't know. Mm. That was a conflict in my heart. Or yeah. was it just liberating for you to say, oh, now I understand? At first, it was really challenging because you're asking questions. Like I was learning to ask questions of the text that I hadn't asked before. Um, but one of my professors said like, hey, God is big enough for our questions. God's big enough for our wrestling. I even was listening to one of my professors has a book out and it was talking about um, how, you know, Jacob wrestling with God and Israel, like the name Israel means to wrestle with God and so um, if, if God's okay with that kind of wrestling match he might he might be okay with our wrestling with the text asking questions of it um, I don't think it's like a, a matter of like not having faith but we're trying to grow and mature um, and kind of refine our understanding a bit which um, is okay uh, I saw another thing it said like uh, God died or Jesus died to take away your sins not your mind right we're allowed to ask questions <laughs> and kind of wrestle Love with that. things um, and so like at first it was uncomfortable like in my first couple years of college or first year of college asking some questions I never asked before because I was like, wait, it says like right there. Um, but then like when you dig into like kind of the world that the text was written in and then um, and then the context of it and then the big picture of because it is one cohesive story, um, you see it more holistically and you're like, oh, like I can't help but see it that way now. And I think that's just an honest reading, but it does take some wrestling and work to get there. So um, wow. I'm still a student of the scriptures all the time. I still got a lot to figure out and a lot that I don't know. But um, my understanding of that stuff has been refined in light of what God is doing in the whole of the scriptures. And we see Jesus model it so well in his ministry, where he is continuing to um, undermine the systems and the hierarchies that they made when he's hanging out with sinners and, um, uh, you know, engaging with women at the well, like talking with the woman at the well, like doing things that like were cultural no-nos. But yeah, anyway, sorry, I'm chatting too much. I love it. No, this whole ministry was really that self-emptying yeah. and like if you you know the greatest among you have to become the servant and yeah. the Gentiles lord it over you not so with you yeah. all of that yeah. um, but sometimes people take those verses of submission yeah. and you know as we've looked at the word submit is not is omitted because yeah. it's inter- reinterpreted at verse yeah. 21 of Ephesians submit yeah. to one another right um, but the, people import that yeah. into now this is the Christian life yeah. women Submit. Yeah, it says uh, right there. And, yeah, y- yeah. Your your husband has a gender trump card. Do yeah. you have a gender trump card in your relationship with Jessica? I don't. I, I don't have one with <laughs> no. Liz. But, um, <laughs> although for a time, both yeah. Liz and I were um, influenced by that movement. Yeah, of like yeah. there's a gender trump card, and the husband gets a final say. His opinion yeah. is the one. Yeah, yeah. I'd say maybe the very beginning of Jess's and I's relationship, we were kind of more in that mind. But then as we kind of grew and asked questions and wrestled with the text, we're like, hey, I, th- I think God's up to something a little different here. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So Jessica nor Liz have to pry their independence yeah. from our clenched fist. Yeah. Yeah. But it meets as a mutuality. Yeah. Um, two things I wanted to say about that. The, yeah. Um, one is I think the whole movement of scripture, as you're talking about the big story, mm-hmm. is we tend to de-emphasize Genesis 1 and 2. Yeah, yeah. We start with Genesis 3. We're mm-hmm. broken and we need a savior. We yeah. can't wait to identify with people and say, hey, we know you're broken yeah. and you need a savior. Yeah. But we need to first go back to Genesis 1 and 2 mm-hmm. and say you were created with infinite worth. Yeah. And this is God's original design. Yeah. If there were hierarchy in the original design... Then I think that this school of thought, it's sometimes called complementarianism, yeah. yep. yep. complement with an E. Yeah. And so it, it says, well, there was hierarchy in the original creation. Mm-hmm. There'll be hierarchy 
until Christ comes. There's yeah. hierarchy when Christ comes. And then in the new creation, women's highest call in heaven will be to be the assistance of men. Just yeah. like those systems say the highest thing a woman can do is to be like an associate or assistant yeah. pastor. Yeah who doesn't teach in mixed company and all that. I've, li- yeah. I've lived in those systems, mm-hmm. and I think they are really damaging yeah. and really unbiblical yeah. uh, and really insulting in the end to yeah. say to women, when Genesis 1, 26 and 28 say, in God's image, he created them, male and female, he created them. Yeah. And yeah. then he says, go take dominion. Yeah. And yeah. it just reminds me, Liz and I were in a premarital class and there was a teacher who held a complementarianism, yeah. and he tried to make the case that the cultural mandate to order and organize and care for creation yeah. was only given to men. Hmm. And women were to be our helpers, and helper is always inferior yeah. to the one being helped. And um, it took me a while, but I realized like that word helper is used of God often. Yeah. Yeah. God says, I am a very present help yeah. uh, to those in need. And so it cannot mean inferior. Yeah. And the text itself says, in God's image, he created them. So yeah. I just say like that's really an important thing is like yeah. looking at the created order before the fall. Mm-hmm. That is where we're getting back to. But here's the good news. We're getting back to where Adam and Eve were in Genesis 2 yeah. with no longer the possibility of falling. Yeah. We will be forever secured. Yeah. The probation has been completed by Jesus. Yeah, yeah. You know, so um, the other thing I just would say about submission is God, when Paul used that, he often says, so that the word we're preaching will not be discredited by non-believers. Mm-hmm. The culture of the world then was not scandalized by the word wives submit to your husband, yeah. the hierarchy. Yeah. The culture then was scandalized by the fact that of the way Jesus treated women, yeah. from the woman at the well to yeah. uh, the inner three in Luke 8, yeah. who supported his ministry, to all of this. Uh, and so Paul was often conditioning these commands of hierarchy and respect to say, we don't want, we want the gospel to be adorned. Mm-hmm. And I think a question we have to ask today is, what would cause unbelievers to stumble at the relationships of Christians today? Mm-hmm. Um, and often because the gospel has been so widespread at changing the way people think around the world, mm-hmm. I think people are really stumbled when they see a kind of hierarchy and yeah. inequality. Yeah. Um, and I think Paul today, I would dare say he would be saying, you know, make sure you're expressing the full dignity yeah. of male and female, mm-hmm. um, though they are the differences in gender are to be regarded and honored. Yeah. But there's absolute equality. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I used to hear complementarians say, "Yeah, they're absolutely equal, but only men can make decisions. Only men yeah. can teach. Only men." It's like where have we heard that before? Separate yeah. but equal. Yeah. They're equal, really equal, but one gets the nod. Yeah. You know, we've heard that in discussions of race. Yeah. Which, which is why it's really interesting. If you take Ephesians as a whole, mm-hmm. we're really trying to be uh, both scripture-driven and consistent. Yeah. And saying that what Paul expressed, though it was clearly progressive for the time, yeah, uh, was not the last word on it. Yeah, and I, I just say Paul. Paul had to thread his needle, but I, I wanted to quote this verse from Philemon about slavery. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul says um, to the slave owner of the runaway slave, he says, um, "I have great boldness in Christ." He says, "But I command you," he says, um, "Although I have great boldness in Christ, to command you to do what is right." Uh, which would have been to release him yeah. forever. He says, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. Hmm. He's appealing to him. Now, I mean, I think that's kind of risky. If I were the runaway slave, I'd be saying, Paul, <laughs> Come command, on. Him. command him. Command him. But I think Paul had confidence in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. 
And he's also, I mean, this is pretty passive aggressive as I read it. I mean, in a public letter that winds up in Holy Scripture. Yeah. He's appealing to somebody and says, I could command you to do what it's a right. Yeah. But I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of love yeah. to do what's right. That's so gospel centric as like love, like, cause he, cause he could command Philemon, but that wouldn't like change Philemon's heart. You know, that wouldn't transform his vantage point or any of that stuff. However, um, cause that's, yeah, it's for Philemon. Yeah. Uh, and so, but appealing on the basis of love with the hopes that transformation would take place. So then he is inclined to, um, see, how do you say it? Once miss? Onesimus. Onesimus. I'm always going to get that wrong. Um, As like a a kind of an equal and like as a brother, um, as as the text kind of talks about. So um, very gospel centric. And hopefully that infiltrates the way we see all of our relationships. Um, And that was what you preached about parenting. Yeah. It's not road obedience. Yeah. Yeah. It's there's a there's a context. There's obedience with the understanding that parents have a huge responsibility, too. And if they forfeit that, if they don't lean into that, um, then then in some ways, kids have some liberty to evaluate whether or not they are following Jesus if they're following their parents. But, um, yeah, you can check out that sermon. Uh, yeah, talked a little bit about that, but yeah, it's 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 um, flipping everything upside down, which um, if, that's what the gospel should do in our lives, um, kind of transform everything. And so, a very good example of that in this text, but then also in what you preach on Sunday. So, winning that person over to love yeah. is really, yeah. you know, I mean, that is that is the whole parenting. And by the way, your girls were here Sunday. They were here Sunday. Also oh, sweet. <laughs> oh my gosh, they had dresses I didn't know that they had, and just brought them in those. I was like, oh my gosh, you're so sweet. So yeah, they yeah. are adorable. They're precious. We love them. We'll bring them around again sometime. <laughs> we hope to. Uh, 1045 right, so. is very helpful for that. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. Anyway, we went a couple minutes over seven, but that is perfect. This is really, really good. Um, I guess we do have a question. Um, you cool to transition to that? Any, any we final have words on this one part? noble-minded believer who yes. is asking a question. Noble-minded. At least remember. one. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We appreciate you. So I'll set this to I'll set this to eight, um, and then we can kind of see. Where I know who this is. This is like one of the most noble-minded people I know. Yeah, we so. get we get questions from this person every single week. And Thank you so, so much. Um, so I'm gonna read. Uh, there's a there's a couple couple components, but it starts off, gents, uh, Paul seems to be the only author who has specifically leveled the playing field when it comes to instructing people with varying levels of influence or authority. It might be slightly implied in the early Acts church. I might be missing something, but can you comment on why this might be, if it is? And so why is Paul the only one kind of advocating for the leveling of the the playing field? Um, And is he the only one actually doing it? Yeah, good question. Um, I think that is a very astute question, and 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 can see where that would be picked up from because Paul is very direct, and he wrote so much of the New Testament. Yeah. But as I reflected on it, and thanks for sending it in advance, um, I think it's there in Peter um, when he um, even models this. He's mm-hmm. an Peter's an apostle. Yeah. I mean, kind of a lead apostle in the first thirteen chapters of Acts, right? Yeah. And when he writes his first epistle. First uh, Peter chapter five, he appeals to the elders and he calls himself a fellow elder. Mm-hmm. And then he says that they are to lead the church as shepherds, um, not under compulsion, uh, you know, and then to do it recognizing that they are under the chief shepherd. They are mm-hmm. elders of the church, but they are primarily sheep. Yeah. Um, and shepherds in the church, including pastors and, and everyone who serves in a church, we are not primarily leaders. We're primarily sheep. Yeah. And I would say this, we're not primarily teachers, we're primarily learners. Yeah, yeah. We're not primarily physicians of the soul. We're primarily um, seeing the physician of our souls. Yeah. You know, so, so I'm a student in need of learning. I am a sheep, um, foolish and in need of my shepherd's care. Yeah. I am sick and in need of constant tending by the great physician. Yeah. 
and yet I'm still placed in a role of serving in a leadership. So I see Peter do that. Yeah. Paul calls himself a slave all the time. Um, I think you go back even to Genesis. The second born often gets the blessing. Mm-hmm. The person on the outside gets the blessing. Yeah. Hagar, who was, you know, again, not God's plan as yeah. a mother. She's the first person who gets to name God. Yeah. She calls him the God who sees. Mm. And so God is like laying all of this... Um, background, and then putting it, I think, in the New Testament as well, that he's come to turn the, the regular order upside down. Yeah. Uh, and then you have Jesus announcing the meek will inherit the earth. Yeah. Uh, and all the beatitudes, which yeah. you know, and Jesus, he chose the prodigal son as the one who's inside the party. The older brother yeah. is outside. Yeah. Um, he would, you know, chose the example of faith. I've not seen such faith within Israel, yeah. you know, in a centurion, in an yeah. outsider. So I do think there's there's that overall narrative yeah. um, to the high and mighty. And then I think Revelation as a capstone written by John, uh, uh, as far as we know, written by the Apostle John on a Patmos yeah. in a vision. Um, what a leveling vision, you know, and yeah. even, even for John. And, you know, we're all leveled before the one on the throne. Who he looks and sees at first, he's a, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, and then he looks and no, he's he's a slain lamb. Yeah, yeah. That'll mess with your power yeah. <laughs> dynamics, right? Yeah, yeah. So the the final thing I just say into that is that all power is derivative. Yeah. Jesus says all authority in heaven on earth is given to me, and so whatever power we have, and we all do have different powers as image bearers given to us, we need to make sure we are ministering it and administering it in deference, both in the way of Jesus. Uh, and in how Jesus would treat people. Um, and so I do think the whole message of the Bible is is turning that upside down. Yeah. Um, and that's where you get to the macro theme of the Bible. But it, you can possibly take these verses, wrest them from their context. Yeah. And what did you say? They're treating like a prisoner of war. What was that? Oh, yeah. One of my professors used to say, um, if you could, if you treat scripture like a prisoner of war, if you beat it up enough, you can get it to say whatever you want. And <laughs> so, like, you can, if you torture scripture, you could, and people have done this. They've used it for such atrocities, and they point to scripture as a justification for it. So, just like if you treat it like a prisoner of war, if you if you harm it enough, you'll, it'll say whatever you want it to say. So, yeah, kind of a, a, a grim picture, but it happens. So, uh, it's that just reminds me of another example of this is Peter refers to uh, the Apostle Paul, again, who I know he respected. Paul, you know, rebuked Peter in mm-hmm. Galatia about his error over favoritism and all this. Um, but he, he calls Paul, not the great Apostle Paul, mm. he calls him our dear brother Paul. Yeah. And then I think he tweaks him a bit when he says he, Paul writes about some stuff that are difficult to understand. Yeah. And he says the unstable and the untaught. So you can be and you can be a stable person, but untaught, or you can be just, wow, not very stable in your thinking. Yeah. And he says they distort the word of God. Yeah. And, and they do it to their own destruction. Yeah. You know, because here's the thing. The message of the Bible is always far more full of hope and grace than we ever can imagine. Yeah. You know, and so um, I think that even the, my dear brother Paul, mm-hmm. that the main metaphor for Christians in the New Testament is siblings. Yeah. And I often think of this even of my kids is like in heaven... I'm going to be more their sibling than their parent. Yeah. And um, he transforms all those relationships in the most beautiful. I don't know whether you had good sibling relationships. I love my siblings. Uh, I really do. But um, in heaven, it will be perfect equality. There's nothing yeah. more equal than yeah. siblings yeah. all before the father. And that's yeah. where it's all going. Yeah. Um, and so there is no authority position who's not going to be level at that point. Yeah. 
That's so. good. That's good. Even just in the verbiage of like greeting, like you can, it's good to pick up on that. Yeah. Sometimes people ask if they should call, you know, a pastor by their first name or whatever. And it's like right here, it's dear brother Paul. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it's good for Paul. Call your brother Bob. Good for Peter. <laughs> yeah. Brother might freak out somebody who's on church. Yeah. Like what do, is he really hey, a brother? brother. brother? <laughs> but, but it's not a bad thing to remind ourselves that yeah. we're, we're, we're just siblings yeah, yeah, yeah. of each other yeah. under a father. Yeah. So it's good. I like that. There's a second part of that question in here because he wrote in the comments, you're welcome. So <laughs> thank you. Uh-huh. Um, uh, he said, my real question is, why do you think that slavery is at an all-time high given all the humanitarian efforts around the world for years and years? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Some biblical reflection on that. I know people yeah. are working hard, right? And like, and so this question or ask, like, why is it still so high? And, um, you know, the forms of it, uh, the refugee crisis, the fact that people are fleeing mm-hmm. countries where they can't live and support their families. Yeah, I mean, I know African people uh, from sub-Saharan Africa wind up up in uh, you know the Middle East, and they wind up you know thinking they're applying for a job, and they wind up in slavery, yeah. sexual trafficking, yeah. um, which our area around Route One um, here in Chester County is yeah. supposed to be a hot spot of sexual trafficking. Mm. It, I can't even. I can't even get my mind around it. Yeah, um, yeah. So why, you know, it's a very, um, it seems like all those efforts yeah. are not mitigating the millions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's kind of hard. Like, you know, people are working overtime to remedy the issues while people work overtime to, like, you know, reinforce them. I do believe, you know, the love of money is the root to all evil because all these things are tied to, like, some sort of financial gain in power, which these script- these scriptures are trying to level out. And so um, and people, people subscribe to another way of living outside of what God has in mind, um, which leads to things like slavery. Um, and, yeah, um, I don't know if I could answer that. But I know I know a lot of great organizations that are working overtime to um, bring awareness and remedy to these um, terrible institutions and the evil that is slavery in any of its forms. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, there are just people who are also working to uh, reinforce them and make them a thing. Um, yeah, that's hard. I don't know. If, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the leader of World Vision in India, and I, I want to say Jay Kumar, I'm, I'm messing up his name, but he said, every time someone is enslaved, it's because another image bearer, another human being, is playing the role of God in their life. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's the temptation of people is uh, have to play the role of God in someone else's life. Yeah. And that's where it really is offensive to God. Yeah. And it, it is happening an awful lot. And the economic structures of doing that mm-hmm. um, are it's seemingly more broken yeah. uh, and divided than ever. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we have a responsibility though. In the meantime, to um, you know, not ignore that stuff, to be aware of it, and in whatever ways that we can um, in our world, uh, try and combat that, um, and then not deny it if you know if we know it's happening too. I think a lot of times these conversations come up. We're like, oh no, that can't be real. That's not you know the how wide the scope is. But um, yeah, learning about it and. Figuring out our role in the, in the redemption of it, I guess, or the restoration of it. And really looking in the church and saying, yeah. are we um, showing a countercultural to that? Yeah, yeah. And that's where it comes back into marriages. And yeah. so many churches, um, and not to throw stones at other, other denominational movements, but they've just, they have uh, revealed that there are vast numbers of their women who are living in 
abusive situations. Yeah. And there was recently a survey of women who went to their pastor first about abuse. And uh, the same survey said that that was the worst decision they made yeah. because they were not understood. They, you know, uh, all the efforts were to, you know, equalize it and kind of minimize the abuse that was going on. And instead of being a force of protection and shelter and justice and, and yeah, often some redemption, but, but repentance has to be profound, profound, yeah. profound. Yeah. Um, so I think the church has to first of all clean house yeah. with ourselves yeah. and, um, and yeah, we should be part of seeing people emancipated. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, uh, welcoming them, maybe more space around our tables, and that is challenging. It is. Yeah, not impossible, but yeah, definitely work to be done for sure. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for that. Appreciate Great. it. Great All right, questions. thank you everybody for tuning in. Yeah, seriously, uh, tune in this weekend for the next. Uh, I guess it's week eleven in our sermon series. And this one, I love the connection because I think after Paul talks about slavery, the ne- his next thought is Satan and the spiritual forces of wickedness. Actually, yeah. really, the whole cosmic evil—not just one, uh, yeah. the leader of it, but all of it. Because I think Paul's saying oppression and particularly slavery yeah. and domineering husbands and abusive fathers. All of that is uh, the the field that Satan loves to feed and yeah. fuel. And so he moves to where our real battle is. Yeah. Uh, the real battle yeah. is, is, is in the heavenly places as yeah. we push back on those things. So, so we need to be prayerful about it also yeah. really because that, that will cut the root. Yeah. So y'all want to show up for that one. Cause it kind of seems like it ties some things together, uh, for the previous weeks that we had. So, uh, yeah, join us this weekend, nine o'clock and ten forty-five, and then of course um, this weekend we're going to share some exciting news about Easter. Um, so just make sure you come join us, and uh, we'd love to have you a part. But uh, you guys enjoy your Tuesday, and we'll see you soon. Awesome, thanks.